I founded the Be Well Collective, a not-for-profit organization that aims to bring nutritional education and mental health support to fashion and creative industries. I believe the topics we discuss on this podcast are relevant to whatever industry you work in or any issues you may be facing. As a collective, together, we are stronger. In this episode, Tim Spector speaks at our Wellbeing Summit. He is the Professor of Genetic Epidemiology and Director of the Twins UK Registry Study at King's College London and author of one of my favourite books, The Diet Myth. This series was recorded at our London Fashion Week Wellbeing Summit, so please excuse any background noise. I really thought it was a discussion worth sharing and giving you a sneak peek into the day. So Tim, for some of you that don't know, works a lot with gut health and the microbes. And it's not at King's College, it was, wasn't it? King's College and the hospital, now you're at Guy's and St. Thomas's. Is that King's correct? King's College is the university. I'm in both. You're in both, great. So you have the full shebang. And you've focused a lot of your research on gut health and gut microbes, which we're going to touch upon today. But Tim has actually produced 900 papers on a variety of epidemiology. And you're the lead director, what I call you, on the Twins Registry UK study, which he's going to explain a little bit about, but it's the largest study, not just in the UK, globally. That's correct, isn't it? Because I admire your work for a very, very, very long time. So I feel really privileged to have you here speaking all about the importance of gut health and your microbes, but also to get rid of some of the fads that many people believe, certain diets that you might have to follow. It's something that I have to constantly come up in clinic with different clients they come up with a preconception of what they should and shouldn't be doing and actually it can be so much more detrimental for you so this is what you're going to also talk about this morning as well so i'll leave you to share all of your knowledge thank you Tim. thank you very much so i'll try and pack it in do stop me if i overrun but the important thing is food is the most important medicine we have but the problem is it's probably the most complex. And our problem is we've been oversimplifying what is probably the toughest uh, area of science and medicine and trying to create simple rules that everyone's going to follow. And that's where we've all gone wrong. So I discovered this about 10 years ago when I got sick. I was at the top of a mountain doing something called ski touring, which is a silly sport where you actually walk up hills for most of the day on uh, skins, and then you try and ski down for a short period, exhausted. Uh, and at the top of this mountain in uh, Austria, I was about 3,000 meters, and I developed double vision. I was falling all over the place, and um, took me, it was quite hard to get down to the bottom. When I did, I, I had a rather traumatic time working out what was wrong with me, and I, I ended up with double vision for, for three months as I was having various scans. And it turned out I'd had a very minor stroke in one of vessels supplying the eye, but I was very lucky because that was about the best thing that could have happened because although my blood pressure shot up, I started thinking about my health. And I thought I was pretty healthy, but I, I wanted to try and lose weight. I wanted to work out what the best diet there was to eat. And as you've heard, I've been studying twins for 20 years. I'd written hundreds of papers. I'd written 50 papers just on the genetics of obesity. I thought I was a bit of an expert. And then I started looking at the literature, started looking at the internet and realized it was complete rubbish. There was absolutely nothing there that made sense. 
most of it was not evidence-based. And I was really quite shocked about the levels of it. And this is when I started to research my, my book, The Diet Myth, that I, I really started to uncover from basic principles what was wrong with the whole field of nutrition. And it turned out that at the same time, we'd gone into this idea of reductionism, that everything could be cured by just cutting out one food item. So that's why we ended up in this era where about 10% of the population have given up gluten, whereas only 1% actually need to, where 5% of people have given up uh, all dairy products because they believe they're lactose intolerant, whereas 80% are not, where a lot of people have been told by their doctors to give up uh, fats and cheese because they have a family history of heart disease, when that's total rubbish. There are numerous examples of this so that in the current idea of other people think that meat is deadly and is full of toxins, and therefore if you give that up, you're going to be free of all these problems. So you give up meat. Other people are giving up fish because it's full of mercury and uh, microplastics. And if you keep going on, all you're left with is a kale smoothie and vitamin tablets. And that's become the sort of British modern diet. And this is really what I wanted to counter because it's very easy in the social media to just follow these individual threads, get into a bubble, and suddenly you're in this little group that is basically excluding all your foods. And hopefully by the end of this talk, you'll realize why that is an extremely bad place to be. And the reason we've got a lot of these things wrong and a lot of the actual NHS and the government health advice is a lot of it is wrong is because we've been reducing everything to these principles, which the only people that help are the food industry. So the food industry have basically been telling us that it's all about calories. And they love the fact that, uh, oh, yes, well, you just got a simple 2000 calories per female, do that, everything's fine. So therefore buy low calorie products, and everyone will be healthy and slim. That's why obesity has trebled in the last 50 years. And also low fat products, food companies make huge amounts of money by converting natural products into artificial ones and calling them low fat, giving it a low fat tick. And people think that's good because we've been brainwashed into thinking that fat is in some way bad for us, which it isn't. The alternates are much worse than actually eating natural foods. But each year, processed foods get cheaper, they get tastier, they get extra chemicals added to them. And so we're being conned. And at the same time, they're changing these guidelines and influencing and lobbying the government to make sure that we don't change the status quo. So real food gets more expensive and processed food gets cheaper. So once you realize that actually we've been conned, it, then you've got to think, well, why? What, what else explains why, for example, the idea that all calories are equal doesn't work? Why this rather stupid concept that calories in equals calories out doesn't work? And the answer is this new organ in our body, which we only really discovered in the last decade, called the microbiome. And it's best to think of it as a virtual organ. There are 100 trillion or so microbes in there, about the same number as there are cells in our body. And it's mainly bacteria, but there's also little other things called archaea, which we don't understand. There are viruses that eat off these. There are lots of fungi. People used to be very worried about candida and all these other things, but actually everyone's got them and they're actually good guys. And there are actually some parasites in there that if you've got them, they help you lose weight and keep you healthy. So we're discovering that there's a whole jungle inside our guts 
all of us that have these trillions of microbes and they have 200 times more genes than we have in our bodies. And what do they do? Well, they're chemical factories, and that's the way to think about them. Uh, each of them can pump out all these different key chemicals for our body that supply most of the vitamins and key metabolites that float around our blood. They're important for uh, sending messages to your brain to stop you getting depressed, keep your appetite levels constant. They also change your immune system. They fight off infections. And they're also important for keeping your metabolism stable. So you can't exist without these key chemicals, as well as these, a lot of the essential vitamins, the B vitamins, etc. And they also are a key in how you interact with every bit of food you ingest and every tablet and chemical. So they're absolutely crucial. And the thing that most people don't realize is that every one of you has a completely unique set of gut microbes. So we share 99.5% uh, of our DNA. You guys probably share about a quarter of your gut microbes. And everyone has a unique set. So once you think about that, you've got a unique set of chemical factories. That means everyone is unique in how they respond to food and how they respond to metabolism. And that's a really important mindset because it means that all these one-size-fits-all diets goes out the window. It doesn't mean, you know, that means that the carnivore diet, which might work for one person in a hundred on the internet, isn't going to work for the other 99. It means that high-fat diets aren't going to work for everybody. Keto diets are only for some people. Other people are going to do better on carb-predominant diets. And it explains why things have worked for some people, not for others. And it doesn't, it also explains why one, some people gain weight more easily than others, others lose weight much more easily. Because we're all told to eat the same, we're all very different. And suddenly it all starts to make a lot of sense. Why do some people respond, prefer paracetamol to brufen? It's just because you've got different microbes that are converting those into different chemicals. And it also explains why the links between your microbes and lots of diseases that we haven't really uh, discussed. So we know that there's a huge list of conditions, common conditions, where the microbes seem to be playing an important role. Sometimes they're made worse by the disease, sometimes they cause it, and often it's both. So a good example is there's lots of evidence that anxiety and depression in humans is related to having a poor quality gut microbiome. There's also evidence that many other obesity, diabetes, and colitis, IBS, which uh, is extremely common in sort of epidemic proportions, also related to changes in our gut microbes. And what the overall changes that summarizes all of these conditions, and it goes down as well, there's even good evidence now that autism and personality disorders are very much influenced by gut microbes. So there's virtually no common condition that doesn't have some aspect of the gut microbiome in it. The unifying factor for a healthy microbiome is for it to be as diverse as possible. And what do I mean by diverse? I mean, you have large numbers of different species. So it's like having a garden that is full of as many different plants and seeds as you can possibly have. So it's not just full of red roses, or it's not like an Arizona backyard that's just full of scrubland, but it's like your perfect English country garden that you can imagine. You've got every kind of plant stuck together. The soil is full of fungi. It's full of microbes. Everything is used. It's perfectly sustainable. 
every nutrient is being used by everything. And that's the concept you need to keep in your minds about what you should be trying to achieve to have this, uh, your optimal organ in your body, your gut microbiome healthy. If you do that, you're going to have as many different microbes in your system as possible, which means you're going to have the best defense system for defending yourself against depression, anxiety, overweight, metabolic problems, inflammation. It's a unifying toolkit is the best way to describe what you want to do. So how do you get there? What are the things to do and, and which things to avoid? Well, the way to get a bad gut microbiome is to have fad diets. The less diversity of food you eat, the worse you are. So eating highly processed foods with chemicals in them, bad for your gut microbes. There's good evidence now that a lot of you, I guess, are addicted to things like Diet Cokes and Pepsis. The artificial sweeteners affect many people adversely. Um, they shouldn't be called diet drinks because there isn't any trial that's shown that when you change from drinking, say, regular Coke or Pepsi to the diet version, you lose weight. And yet it should because you have a couple of cans a day. That's, that's maybe 10% of your calories. Reason it doesn't, it has other metabolic effects. It affects your gut microbes. They produce other chemicals that can upset you and cause diabetes-like proteins to be produced. So all these artificial stuff we haven't evolved to actually deal with. And there's many others in processed foods, like preservatives, like emulsifiers that, that can sort of glue your microbes together. So the more you can avoid those, the better. Constant snacking is another, is another thing that we, we think isn't good. You know, it's nice to give your microbes a rest overnight. And we've talked about sleep. That's also important for your gut microbes. Good periods of time where you and your microbes can have a rest. And when you do rest at night, your microbes actually, it's like a, an American football team, like it's a whole other team comes on, offense and defense, and overnight, these guys don't eat food, they just nibble away at your gut lining, the sugary lining of your, your gut, and live off that little bits of sugar. And that is really helps your gut health. So give them a break, don't sort of nibble all through the night, very important. Now, other things to be good, you should have plenty of fiber. We have far too, nobody sponsors fiber in this country. There's no money in it, real fiber. And on average, we have about half the amount of fiber we should be having. Uh, we should be doubling that to at least about 30 grams a day. Most people get nowhere near that. So you get that from plants and vegetables and whole grains. Eating more plants and vegetables is key. And it's not just having the same kale smoothie every day. So it's the diversity of plants. We did a study of 12,000 American and British volunteers. The one factor that determined the highest diversity of the gut, the healthiness of it, was how many different species of plants you were eating in a week. And this didn't matter if you were vegan, didn't matter if you were vegetarian, carnivore, whatever. It's what else? The number of plants on your plate. Okay, so diversity is important. You say, and the maximum we got up to, it was somewhere between... 20 and 30 a week. And you say, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. I can't eat that many different uh, carrots. But we forget what plants are. Nuts, seeds, herbs, they're all varieties of plant. And if you sprinkle them, you know, I, I cheat in the morning. I have a breakfast of a bit of yogurt and I sprinkle on a variety of mixed seeds and nuts. And so instantly I've got 10 different plants. And you just need to vary this. Okay, so just think intelligently about your gut in that way, and that's a big advantage. The other thing you can do is to try and eat foods that 
have a special energy pack for your gut microbes. And these used to be called antioxidants. We now call them polyphenols, okay? Polyphenols, defense chemicals found in all plants. All plants need them to try and survive and fight against the sun and other things like this. We can't use these polyphenols ourselves, but our gut microbes can. Anyone who's drunk red wine knows that uh, taste on your tongue, the astringency. That's due to polyphenols. And you get that from many plants, these superb chemicals. And high polyphenol foods are things like berries. Anything that's bright red, etc., is nuts, seeds, dark chocolate, coffee. Anyone like coffee? Really good for you because of the polyphenols. Red wine actually is good for your gut microbes, but vodka is not. The difference is uh, you've got the skin of the, of the actual fruit on there, and that's why red wine and possibly some artisan ciders. Not so sure about Prosecco. You have to drink a lot of it before it's any good for you. Fermented foods. I don't know if anyone here, anyone know about kefir and kombucha, kimchi, 3K rations? A little bit every day is what you need for those. You don't need a lot, and it doesn't work if you only take it occasionally. So three times a week at least, a little shot of something to keep your gut health good is important. So the other thing I want to talk about is personalizing your, your health. So uh, we did this giant study of uh, 2,000 people, 1,000 in the UK and 1,000 in the US, uh, mostly twins in the UK, and gave all of everyone identical meals. It's called the PREDICT study. It's the largest study of its kind. And it's based on the premise that we think people are going to behave differently. And it turned out that when we gave people identical muffins, um, we got a up to tenfold difference between everybody's metabolic response to that identical food in a laboratory setting. So some people's glucose went sky high, others didn't change. Some people's fat levels went up, some people's insulin went up, others didn't. Everyone responds to food very differently. And we found that even identical twins, who are genetic clones, could react very differently to identical foods because they had not only uh, different microbes, but also there's other things become different in us. We end up with different circadian rhythms. Some people are morning people. Some people are evening people. Some people have exercised more than the other person. A lot of these things will vary how you respond to these foods. So we're now able to predict, based on these tests, how anybody will respond to food. And we have an app made by a company called Zoe, which is going live in the US uh, in the next few weeks. But you can look on the website if you want to. Uh, the website's called Join Zoe. And you get an app, which uh, you can look up any food. And I've got one for me. It tells me I can't eat baguettes and croissant because I respond really badly to bread. But I can have as much fat and yogurt and cheese as I like. So I've just had to change my uh, breakfast completely. But it just gives you an idea about how we can all change as we move forward in this way. And there really isn't one size that fits all. So I really want to stress this, that we have to start experimenting yourself about what suits you. Don't just go with some guideline that says everyone must have breakfast, everyone must have uh, eating every two hours. Uh, you've got to find out what suits your body, your microbes, what makes you feel good. There isn't one set rule for this, and you mustn't listen to the breakfast companies telling you that you have to have a sugary breakfast. We're doing some studies now that show that many people, when they have a high sugar content of any meal, will have a dip two hours later, and that dip 
changes your alertness and it also increases your appetite. So increasingly we're moving to an idea that the idea there is no such thing as a sugary snack that's healthy doesn't give you any, it might give you short-term energy, but cause you long-term problems. The idea is to reduce these peaks during the day of these sudden spikes. You want a nice smooth metabolism to keep everything under control and fully balanced. So it is much more complicated than we've been led to believe. But I think if you have these general ideas in your head that you can suddenly see food in a different light. We now know there are 26,000 chemicals in the foods that we eat. Most of these are not yet documented. And you combine that with the trillions of microbes, and you've probably got a thousand species of those, all producing thousands of metabolites. You see how you've got to start thinking in very different ways. It's not about calories. It's not about fat. It's not about pure sugar. And because it's so complicated, the best thing is to think of yourself is this garden analogy. How's the best way you can feed your garden? Give it fertilizers. So what's fertilizer? It's prebiotics. It's plants. It's different things every year. Vary it. It's what do you sprinkle on? It's new seeds. That's the probiotics. That's the fermented foods. That's the yogurt. That's the cheese. That's the kefir. And then you avoid nasty toxins and pesticides. Get, you get rid of those to avoid the chemicals. And then finally, you've got to realize that diversity is the key. And that with 100 trillion microbes inside you, you never eat alone again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Live Well, Be Well. Please do share with your friends and help spread awareness of this podcast. I hope these conversations inspire you to create a positive change in your life. And if you do like the podcast, please do leave a review. Until next time, live well and be well. Before you go, I have something new to tell you about. There's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest I speak to. These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.